by no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising, happy to be back here with you. Happy to discuss with one of my friends, Mike Miracles, from Music City Miracles. You know his film breakdowns well. We're going to go over what's going on with the Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk about a surprisingly aggressive offensive game plan from Arthur Smith, what it's doing to Marcus Mariota, why he hasn't thrown an interception through five games, and what's happening with Roger Saffold. We will do all of those things and try potentially to put a positive spin on them uh, coming up right now on the 615 Sessions. Back here on the 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising hanging out here with you as well as our dear friend Mike Miracles, who you can follow on Twitter at Mike Miracles. Mike Herndon, uh, kind enough to join us. I, I asked you when you answered the phone, how are we? And you gave me the predictable <laughs> Titans fan response. So for the people, Michael, how are we? Um, it's a, that's a loaded question during football season. And um, this week, pretty, uh, pretty awful. It's, it's been a, uh, a miserable season so far, Buck. So uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. That's where my headspace is. That's that's fascinating to me because there have been so many seasons of bad football here in Nashville. And at 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 two and three, it would not seem on the surface as bad as everything may may have been in years past. But these these expectations I try to warn you guys every time. I try to <laughs> warn you guys. Why does nobody listen to me, Mike? I don't know. I don't know. I it's and that's exactly what it is. It is the expectations. It's the fact that, you know, nine and seven last year. Yeah, I mean, and the quarterback had nerve damage, and we played a really hard schedule, and you know, all this is going on, and now we've got all these new weapons. We've got a you know former second team All Pro left guard we just brought in. Things are going to be better. This is it. We're going to put it all together, and we're going to have a good year. And we come out, and it's the same crap. You know, it's the same. Bad offense, good defense, try to grit it out and win in the fourth quarter team that we've seen for literally the past, what, 15 years. I was I was looking it up. I was a high school senior the last time the Titans had an offense that ranked higher than 14th in points scored in a season. Ugh. I'm 34 years old, Buck. Ugh. I'm 34. Oh my God, Mike! That makes me hurt so bad for all. See, this is this is what people I think get get caught up in because oftentimes I preach caution uh, when it comes to these things. I did it last year with Matt Lafleur, and I did it this year before this season started because of everything that we talked about all off season long. And I don't take solace in the fact that I am I I don't want to say proven to be right, but thus far have been proven to be right to a degree. I don't enjoy yeah. that fact because I do feel bad for I mean that's that's awful what you just said to me the fact that you're 34 years old and you have not had not have not had an offense above uh, 14th in the NFL 
since you were a high school senior. That's absolutely disgusting, and no football fan should have to suffer through that. Let, let us, though, because I know you're a busy man, and you have m- many, many other podcast engagements to make it to today <laughs> other than our small little show here. I, what, what has surprised you the most? Because we've talked... We have talked to uh, Roger Saffold ad nauseum. We have yes. questioned Mike Vrabel's decision-making ad nauseum. We have asked why Adam Humphreys is not more involved on a week-by-week basis ad nauseum. What has been the most surprising thing to you? To me, the biggest surprise is Saffold. And, and you know, we don't have to relitigate that all over again, but I've watched him in L.A. be arguably the best player on one of the best offensive lines in football. And, you know, he's moving to a scheme that's very similar. And, you know, the whole time, the whole off season after they signed him, it was, you know, this should be a pretty easy transition, everything like that. And I mean, the guy has been credited with six sacks allowed in the past three years on PFF. And he's given up five in five games here. Why do players come here and, automatically suck i mean it's unbelievable the rate of people that we bring in that we know are good football players or have been good football players and they magically become bad and and it's across different coaches it's across different schemes it's baffling to me but saffold's got to be the biggest surprise so far and you know i i it's just it's disappointing without question i think the most disappointing part of it though is the fact that you know, people like Greg Cosell and people who study offensive line play uh, at at more at more length are telling you that these are very very fixable issues that he's that he's having that he's creating too much space between him and the rusher in his sets that he is that he is at eleven million dollars a year struggling with the fundamentals in a way that is shocking to everybody involved. We, you know, I mean, bless him. Uh, Roger, <laughs> I, I, I do feel bad for him because yesterday in the locker room, and Mondays are only open, the locker room, if they lose. And the only person anybody wants to talk to uh, is Taylor Lewan, who was not there, and then Roger Saffold. And Roger Saffold is sitting there taking a beating over and over again, taking the bullets of our questions, which is, uh, you know, earned to a degree. But the, the idea that it's fundamentals things that are plaguing him, that you have paid this person to come in and cement your offensive line and that he is the biggest. I mean, we're talking about benching this man. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and to me, you know, I I do think there's some, you know, not to make excuses for him because I mean, like you said, you paid him $11 million a year. You expect him to come in and play well regardless. And some of these things are just like you said, technique fundamentals, that kind of thing. But there is some credence, I think, to the fact that you've got a you know basically weak spot at right guard on the other side, and Ben Jones is looking to help the right guard more than he's looking to help Saffold. You again, you shouldn't need help. You're making eleven million dollars a year, but you're getting less help than than a normal situation would would have a left guard get if the right guard was you know a guy that you could trust you've got a left tackle situation where you haven't gotten to practice with Taylor Lawan hardly at all um you're getting kind of new reps on the fly you had Dennis Kelly in there for a little bit so he was kind of a weak spot on you so I mean there's some reasons that maybe not all of this is on Saffold but I would say you know the vast majority of his play is just him needing to play better and not get beat by a spin move and not get bold bull rushed back in into Mariota's lap, you know, five yards deep in the backfield. That that kind of stuff, you know, you see it, and 
I mean, he's a big, strong guy. I've seen him move big, strong guys before. I just don't understand why he suddenly can't do it here. It, it is it is the curse of the Titan. It, it seems to be the curse of the state of Tennessee when people come here from jobs after having previous success that they just begin to be bad at their jobs. And I, I, uh, I, I have not been here long enough, I guess, to understand it, but it sounds like even lifers uh, are not able to separate themselves from the problem. Let's talk about something you pointed out uh, earlier today on Twitter. At Mike Miracles is where you can follow my friend Mike Herndon, of course, of Music City Miracles, the uh, football and other F-words podcast that he does with the two dopes, Zebo uh, and <laughs> Lebowski, and of course, his brother, Internet Keith. Uh, the pro football focus, uh, one, of their, one of their analysts pointed out the route data uh, from, from the average depth of target perspective, and the Titans ranked surprisingly high. The, the play calling, the, the downfield play calling has been surprisingly aggressive. Now, you mm-hmm. pointed out that this is possibly contributing to the sack problem in, t- in Tennessee. Would you elaborate more for the audience? Yeah, so in, in, this was the first time I'd seen these kind of heat maps that PFF is using, and they're charting basically every route combination that a team runs, and the depth, the expected depth of where that player would be targeted in his route and kind of assigning an average depth and then comparing it across different teams. So if they, they charted it by quarterback and I think Mariota was like the seventh uh, among the route combinations, he had the seventh most aggressive average depth of target uh, downfield. So the Titans are running deeper routes than most teams in the NFL. That's correct. I've got the chart up in front of me. He's seventh. Deeper, deeper routes obviously take longer to, to develop. And when you've got an offensive line that is a little problematic, um, you know, we just talked about Saffold struggles. The right guard spot has been prop, a problem on and off kind of here as we've started the season. You know, that that is inviting pressure. It's inviting sacks um, to a certain degree. Now, there's also the fact that Mariota is, despite the depth of those routes, He's a tar- he's attempting passes more than 20 yards downfield in the bottom 10 in the NFL among quarterbacks at the bottom 10 rate. He's like 8% of his passes go more than 20 yards downfield. So what you're seeing is a guy that doesn't really love to attack downfield. And, and he did more early in his career, but that has really faded and tapered off over the past three years. And last year he was in the bottom 10 as well. So I think what you're seeing is a guy that doesn't necessarily like to challenge windows, tight windows, especially deep downfield an offensive line that has trouble holding up for longer developing routes. And the Titans are running a lot of those routes. So you're seeing a little bit of that being bited by the play calling. Now, some of that stuff has to do with the fact that the Titans are third in the NFL and play action rate. Um, those are typically going to be longer developing routes and, and take longer to attack and, and be further downfield. And they actually do really well with play action. But I think there's there's a little bit of a compounding factor in the fact that Mariota does hold the ball more than almost any quarterback in the NFL through the first five weeks. There's compounding factors with these sacks. It is not all just the terrible, terrible offensive line. It is partially Mariota. It is partially Arthur Smith. And I think they're all combining to make this a really bad situation when it comes to the 22 sacks they've allowed. It's incredible. What, what do you make of, though, the the lack of interceptions? Seven touchdowns through five games, not a pick to be had. He's, he's completing about 60, just over 
of his passes and his yards per attempt at 7.9.2 above his career average of 7.5. The turnovers are being cited as a measure of some kind of success from the quarterback. I am of the opinion, Mike, that he is playing that the that the lack of interceptions are not a good are not are not a result of good quarterback play, but that the lack of interceptions is the primary goal rather than playing quarterback well. Tell me that I'm wrong. I can't tell you you're wrong there. I, I think there have been studies in the past that I've read that relate the super low interception rates to inefficient offense. And the same thing goes for fumbles with running backs, believe it or not. I think at one point someone ran a study looking at running backs and fumble rates in your more explosive production production running backs tended to be guys that fumbled more often. So I, there's a little bit of a relationship between being aggressive and taking chances. And sometimes if you're going to throw a pick, so be it. But if you're getting four or five big plays in the passing game that you otherwise wouldn't get if you were being ultra conservative and trying to throw no picks all the time, that trade-off ends up worth it. I mean, sometimes, especially, you know, third and third and long, an arm punt isn't the worst result. You know, throw it, throw it deep. If it gets picked off 30 yards downfield, so be it. You know, that's a little bit worse than what Kern would have done, but you're giving yourself a chance for a big play and, and pass interference. I mean, you know, how many times do we see other teams attack downfield and throw it up for grabs? And then, you know, one of the corners, you know, Dory Jackson or we, you know, Logan Ryan had one a couple games ago, panics and runs into the receiver and you get a 30 yard pass interference penalty. That's a huge play. So you got to give yourself a chance to get those plays by attacking downfield. And I feel like Mariota has been conservative. He's been trying to protect the ball. And I think that has been to a detriment of some of the explosive downfield attack. He has now thrown, and this is according to football perspective, doing some of the best uh, football analysis out there. He has thrown Marcus Mariota 191 straight passes without a pick dating back to last season. During that time, he has taken 26 sacks at a 12% sack rate. Uh, it's the longest active streak of pa- straight of passes without throwing a pick, but it is. It's not. It's not. It's it's people who are reading the box score and not looking at the actual game and what he's doing in these actual games. One more for you on the way out, Mike, uh, because I know you have uh, your next podcast to tape. Mike Vrabel. What yes. do you make of the fact that Mike's decision making seems to have gotten worse from year one to year two? Um, I, I almost feel like he's pressing a little bit. I feel like he gets too emotionally caught up in what's going on in the game. And, and believe me, I understand, you know, sometimes you do have to go with your gut. You can't just manage these games off of a spreadsheet all the time, but teams that employ analytics and really use the numbers and the, the rate, you know, the rates at which you convert certain situations and things like that to their advantage are hyper successful and you see it like teams like the Colts teams like the Ravens teams like the Eagles these teams are willing to go for it on fourth and short situations because they know the data backs it up that this is a good decision this more often than not is going to benefit my team and if I keep doing it over a long enough period of time I'm going to win more often than I'm going to lose because of these decisions and you have to be accepting of a few failures when that happens right so 
I, I think Mike, he trusts his defense. You, you can tell. He trusts his defense. He trusts his punter. He does not, I don't think, fully trust his offense. And maybe that's earned. You know, I, I certainly think if you're looking at the Titans, there's nobody who would tell you the offense is the stronger unit than the defense right now. So, you know, I think that kind of puts him into a mindset sometimes where he does get a little more conservative with those critical decisions. But, you know, at, at some point you've got to put it on your players to make plays. And if they don't, they don't. But you can't just keep taking the ball away from them and not letting them uh, have the opportunity. It's it's a fascinating case study to see play out in front of us. And people were kind of surprised that we were that we, being the media, were questioning him a little harder on Monday than is typically the case. But I just, you know, I think we're all at the point where we're, we are all, uh, all, all like-minded in the fact that we don't understand what the hell he's doing sometimes. And that, to me, is, uh, is one of the most damning things about how this season has gone thus far. He is Mike Miracles, at Mike Miracles on Twitter, Mike Herndon of the Football and Other F-Words podcast, Music City Miracles. You can catch his all 22 write-up and review uh, at Music City Miracles. It is always informative. Mike is doing some of the best film study out there as it pertains to these miserable Tennessee Titans. Mike, thank you. I appreciate it, Buck. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll have something more fun to uh, break down next week. <laughs> we shall see. Many thanks to my friend Mike Miracles for stopping by, giving some of his time here to us on this Tuesday. Shout out to him. Shout out to you guys who rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get this podcast. We will continue to bring you the best pod content that there is to be had here in Nashville, but you have to rate, review, and subscribe to get all of it because we are doing some spectacular interviews and more will come on the horizon. Leave five stars wherever there are five stars to be left. Four stars simply makes you a hater. That being said, I'm Buck Rising reminding you to stay hot, Nashville. We will talk to you on Thursday right here on the 615 Sessions brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.